Friends, it's been fun to slow down this Advent season and really dwell in John's prologues, seep this word into us and understand what we mean by Jesus come and our anticipation of him. And this has been a beautiful thing to do together. So you heard last week from the first five verses of the prologue, and I pick us up in verse six of John's gospel. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he, came bear, but he came to bear witness about the light. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we want the light. We want the light of life. We want you to shine brightly in our hearts and in our churches across Columbia and in this great kingdom that you are bringing to bear on earth as it is in heaven. Let us dwell in the glory of this light. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. Well, friends, we know that there are four gospels. We know that each one kind of walks us through the life of Jesus, but it's really interesting how different they are, and especially on this point in particular, how they tell the story of Jesus' origins, where he came from, and how he had his beginning. And if you think about it, between Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Mark is cheating. He doesn't even talk about it. He just launches us right into Jesus' earthly ministry, and we don't hear those things. But when it comes to Matthew and Luke, their origin telling is so different from the Gospel of John, right? I mean, even as we read this prologue, this is so different than what Matthew and Luke have already given us in the Gospels. Matthew and Luke, they talk about Mary and Joseph and Bethlehem and a manger, and shepherds keeping their watch over their fields by night, and we three kings of Orient are, and you've got frankincense and gold and myrrh and a silence and a holy night. That's their telling of Jesus. They're just so earthy and raw and awkward. They scream of the humanity of Jesus, and they're so beautiful and winsome and assuring. No wonder we tell the story again and again and again to our children and to our children's children, generation after generation, the birth of Jesus. But if there's anything unfortunate about those gospels, not their fault, this is not on them, this is on us, but if there is anything unfortunate about their telling of Jesus, it is how easy they are co-opted by our culture, right? I mean, you take these stories from Matthew and Luke and you just do a little snipping. Not a lot, but just a little. You, you shave off some supernatural bits here and you shave off some religious bits there and then what you're left with is this really pretty story of a baby being born in a bale of hay in a well-lit barn that's warm to the sound of lowing cattle. And who's offended by that? That's a sweet story that anybody could tell, anybody could co-opt. You could slap that nativity scene on a Hallmark card and no one would bat an eye. You can buy Walmart blow-up art and put it in your yard. You can buy a, a plastic Playmobil set and give it to your kids to play with. That, that's not going to offend everybody. That's a sweet little story everybody can get on board with. You think the executives at Playmobil give a rip about the Nicene Creed? 
You think they've given one thought how to portray in the plastic baby Jesus, the homoousios, that Jesus is the very substance of God himself? Of course they don't. And no one is complaining. Everybody can get on board with a story of Jesus' birth without the religious parts. And for that reason alone, everybody needs a little bit of the gospel of John this Advent season. Everybody needs to crack open this gospel and have John wake us up from a Christmas stupor and attend to what we are really talking about. I mean, even when we go back to those first five five verses that we marched through last week, Jesus thunders, the person of Jesus thunders and sets us up for our passage this morning. Look back at those first five verses. Verse one and two, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He was in the beginning and in one sentence, John is able to offend every cult and world religion. Like where others are saying, I think we can work together as religions and I think we're all headed to the same place. John is saying in one sentence, I don't think we can work together because there's only one way to come to this Jesus and that is on your knees. He is exclusively God himself and he thunders in this opening verse. Look at verse three. All things were made through him. And without him was not anything made that was made. And now John in his next sentence has offended all modern secular science by claiming that Jesus has the power to create every speck of matter that we see out of nothing and all very good. The pre-incarnate Jesus wasn't twiddling his thumbs waiting for his chance to be born in a manger in Bethlehem. John is saying he was in Genesis chapter one, the very word of God speaking creation into existence and upholding it by the word of his power. Verses four and five, in him was life and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. And now John has offended all postmodern relative moralists who dwell among us and tell us what's right for me is right for me and that might not be right for you. And if anybody needs a guiding light as to what is true and right and good, you can find that within yourself to the light that shines within. And John says, that's not true. Jesus is the light and all else is darkness. Jesus is life and all else is death. He is the beauty and the perfection of God's righteousness. He's the Shekinah glory of God's holiness. He is life incarnate and all apart from him is darkness and death. Do you see why Playmobil hasn't come up with a nativity scene from John chapter one? Are you seeing why you can't invite John to any of your Christmas gatherings because he will offend all of your extended family? 
You put verses one through five together and you begin to understand what John meant when he said at the end of his gospel, I suppose all the books in the world couldn't contain all the good stuff I still have to say about Jesus because in this opening flourish of these few verses, he says, Jesus is God. Jesus has always been and always will be. He has made everything we see and can't see. He is life and light in himself. And you hear all that and you feel a little bit like the Apostle Peter on the Mount of Transfiguration when Jesus pulled back his humanity and showed his full deity and Peter just mumbled something like, can't we make a tent and just dwell here a little bit and look into Jesus' face a little longer? There's something here, believer. There's something here about this Jesus that I just want to soak into my being and know something about. There's something about this Jesus I don't fully understand, but I want to understand and I want to dwell here in the first five verses. Which makes verses six through eight really bizarre and really out of tune. Verses I read that we're going to spend our time in, they just don't make sense. I mean, we have Jesus here, who is the very perfection of light and life. Why would you consider introducing a human being when we already have the light? Why are we going to talk about something created when we have the creator before us? Why drop the fly in the ointment when we're dwelling in the Holy of Holies and introduce this person, John? The word was with God and the word was God. There was a man whose name was John. What are we talking about? Now, of course, John who's writing is John the Apostle, and the John he's referring to is John the Presbyterian, a.k.a. John, the guy who baptized a bunch of people, a.k.a. John the Baptist, right? So these are two different Johns. Apostle is writing about John the Baptist. But even so, verses 6 through 8 are like a scratch in the record. I mean, here we are in the heavenly of heavenlies in verses one through five, and then you insert this human being in the middle of this, and then right after we get this like little awkward, embarrassing part of three verses, we go right back to this beautiful explanation of Jesus in verse five, in verse nine onward. And so smack in the middle, you have this plain, vanilla, piddling human being. And this is no knock on John. John the Baptist, I mean, Jesus said he was the greatest person to ever live. He is the best among us. He is our very best specimen. So this is no knock on John, who am I to say? But even when you put the best human being forward and you put him in a paragraph next to Jesus himself, it's just embarrassing. John didn't do anything before he was born. He just wasn't. And he didn't make anything out of nothing, because he couldn't. And he's not even a light. He's not even a lesser light. He's not the light. And all he can do, verse eight, is point to the actual light. It's kind of like when you're watching the World Cup and you see the global rock stars of soccer walk onto the pitch. And what are they doing? They're holding the hand of some little kid from his local rec league And it's just so cute. And then once the anthem thing is done, you're like, beat it, kid. Like, it's time to watch the big boys play. 
But in John's prologue, John doesn't beat it. He like sticks around on the pitch and he's going to actually try to witness to the very light himself and things are about to get really awkward really quick. Can you imagine the audacity of a human being or a group of human beings actually trying to display something of God's uncreated eternal light? The moment you introduce a human being as a middleman between the light and the darkness, between Jesus and those who most need this message, the moment you introduce a human being, you have immediately invited limitations, misrepresentations, and perversions. That's the full package. You want a human being? It's going to come with all of those things. You either take those things with the human being or you don't have the human being there in the beginning because that's what we are going to bring with us. And in my humble opinion, that would make us terrible witnesses. We have limitations. I mean, just by being a human being, we have limitations. We get tired and we sleep and we get distracted and we get hungry and we start doing one thing and don't finish that thing and we start another thing. Just by being a human being, we immediately have all these limitations on us that make us not suitable witnesses to the light. And then we're full of misrepresentations. You ever have that moment where like you and a believer, you're trying to counsel somebody and you guys are both sharing, I share, you share, we're sharing with them. And then this person starts describing God in a way that's just not biblical at all. Like, it's like, what are they saying? Or have you ever sat down with somebody and they quoted a verse to you that doesn't actually exist in the Bible? I don't know what meme they got it from, but it's not this, this 66 books here. Or you ever in a prayer meeting with somebody and somebody's praying to God and then it's your turn to pray and you have to kind of undo their prayer by saying, God, thank you that you're not like what that person just said, but you're this way. That happens all the time. You set a person loose, ill-formed in their theological training, and they are going to misrepresent God on a regular basis. You got limitations, you got misrepresentations, but worst of all, you have true, awful perversions. The biggest problem about human beings testifying to the light is just how much time we spend in the darkness. We're in the dark, and we love the darkness, and we retreat to the darkness. And that makes us, in my opinion, universally unqualified to talk about the light, lest we be accused of sinners and selfish and hypocritical, and we go about giving Jesus a bad name. It's no wonder our culture is telling us today, I don't want organized religion, and I don't want the church, and I don't want any middleman. If there is a Jesus, I want him, and I want him pure and unadulterated by any other person. Give me Jesus, and I'll leave the church behind. It's no wonder. But after I'm quite finished ranting about why humans make terrible witnesses and we get back to the text, we realize all of a sudden this isn't an accident. This is by God's design, it is happening this way. And I find that in verse six, there was a man sent from God. 
John didn't fumble onto the scene, nor did the church after him fumble onto the scene. By God's design, he says, I send my son, and then I send a witness to my son. So let this implication fall on us, because it's hard to accept. In God's mysterious providence, he has displayed this glorious, eternal light of his son, bright shining as the sun itself, And then he places a dirty window in front of it called John, called us, called the church and says, I want you to bear witness to the light. And for all our limitations and misrepresentations and perversions, God can say about John and about us in verse seven, even so, even through a foggy window, He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. Not only am I going to put a human being as the middleman to Jesus, the witness to Jesus, but I'm actually going to surprise you in the way in which I will lead other human beings to me through that imperfect witness. How could that be so? But that's the gospel word for us this morning. And so I want us to pause and understand this. Weary believer, I want us to absorb this. We're in this Advent season. It's gonna go by faster than we know. It does every year. Every year we're surprised. How quickly we blink and Christmas is over. And then we look back on it and we see all the things we should have done that we didn't do and the things we should have done more of that we didn't accomplish, and the things I wish I wouldn't have said, but I said, and things I wouldn't have done that I've done because Christmas is like a pressure cooker where you add our idols of materialism and home and selfishness, and you mix in some dysfunctional extended family, and then it just explodes into something that we're often ashamed of at the back end and wish we hadn't have done that. And it's like of all seasons that I should have been enough. It should have been the Christmas season. That should have been the season that I would have shined the brightest for my family and extended family and my neighbors. But could we pause and realize my not enoughness is the reason we are celebrating Christmas? is the reason we are pausing to approach this sacred and holy ground that I do continue to fail and I do continue to say things I shouldn't say and do things I shouldn't do. And because of that reason, God has sent the light through his son, Jesus. I have darkness. He brings me light. I have death. He brings me life. I have the law, verse 17. So he brings me grace and truth. As a believer, I want verse 8 of John's prologue on my lips this season. Ready to confess, ready to profess, ready to rehearse with each other. Because in all these circumstances where I am seen as not enough, or I am caught in my sin, or I say things I shouldn't say, and I realize I am not bearing adequate witness I rehearse with John, I am not the light, but I bear witness to the light. I am not the light, 
but I bear witness to the light. Church, can we practice that? Say it with me. I am not the light, but I bear witness to the light. When I go home and I blow a fuse with my kids and my wife and I realize what I've done, that's a chance to grab this Christmas gospel and say, I'm not the light, but I bear witness to the light and I need to ask the life for forgiveness. This is the glory of the gospel in Christmas. What you see in me and us that is dark and other than him, I own, I confess, I acknowledge because in God's marvelous providence, he's actually using the dirty window in front of his son to bear witness, to testify to the fact I am not the light, but I bear witness and I can point you to the place that I am going, the very light and life itself. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we are not the light, but we bear witness to the light and I plead with you that we will know this well this Christmas season, that our darkness is actually a testament to the light It's something we hate and it's something we run from, but even as we fall into it, it is a chance to say that we are not the light and we have no light innate within us, but it is only through your son, Jesus. And I pray that even in our failing and even in our weakness and even in our misrepresentation and hypocrisy, we can boldly proclaim, I'm not the light, but I can point you to him and let him shine all the more brightly through us. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.